0: hey everyone welcome to another episode of the principal's desk podcast my name is david i am the founder of the principal's desk thanks so much for being here and i am joined today by a special guest who is going to be talking to us about uh, something that uh, we all deal with all the time, but I feel like we we rarely talk about, and that is understanding gifted and talented students. So I am thrilled to be here with uh, Brienne Hudak and um, Brienne. Thanks for being here, first and foremost.
1: Yes, thank you for having me.
0: Awesome. Um, For our listeners that are out there, um, maybe give us like the two-minute version of your background and your experience in working with uh, gifted and talented students.
1: Sure. Okay. So I've served in education for about 16 years. I've been in public, private, and charter school sectors. Um, When I was an educator, I taught gifted and talented education, got my certification to do that. I also taught single gender. I've taught preschool through fifth grades. Uh, I've taught STEM and design engineering and global studies. And when I moved into my administrative experience, I was a curriculum and instructional specialist. I uh, have been a dean of students, a student activities director, assistant principal, and K through 12 school leader. And currently I, uh, well, recently I got uh, my certification to become an educational consultant and I'm currently an adjunct professor at my local university, as well as a field supervisor preparing future educators for their careers.
0: Is that, uh, is that all that you do? Is there more that you could possibly fit into 24 hours? That's Yeah, amazing. and I'm a
1: mom of a two and a half year old as well. So oh. you add that into the mix and life is good. <laughs>
0: That is a lot, but I've, I've often found that educators take on so many different tasks, uh, both in school yeah. and out of school too. Like so many educators that are also randomly like, you know, their kids' schools, like PTA presidents. Like, how do you figure out those things? And they're also, you're coaching a soccer team and, you know, teaching adult learners. Like it's, uh, I think that's the educator like pathway, is that like, just I'll keep doing more um yes we wonder why we're so tired all the time but uh, yeah and you know
1: for me it was it was uh, about so currently as well i'm a doctoral student of educational leadership and i always felt like when i got into education i had to move up the ranks because i had to gain the wisdom and the experience and all these different roles and serving in all these different capacities to really understand education, been passionate about it my whole life. I had a great educational career, always respected and wanted to be an educator. Mm -hmm. And so when um, I was on my path, I just knew you have to be fully immersed and be able to understand the trenches of what everybody's dealing with. So that by the time you do move up into educational leadership roles and positions, you can say, I've been there, done that, and I'm ready to help you make a positive impact on our community and our students.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and when we talk about our students, obviously, you know, educators work with a wide variety of students and um, one group of students that, uh, again, like I said, right at the beginning of the podcast, I feel like we don't talk about all that much are our gifted and talented students. Um, and I'll be honest here. Um, I'm a little bit in the dark as well on, you know, what is a gifted and talented student? I just know that I did not have that tag on my file when I was a kid. Um, So um, I did know, I did have friends that did have it though, um, because they like to tell everybody, I did not have it on mine. But um, for those of us that are trying to figure out like, what does that term mean? What what denotes uh, a student to be gifted and talented? Uh, Is there a kind of universal definition or, Is this something that might be more individual, the states or districts, or what what is your take on that?
1: So when we say gifted and talented, and I tack on that talented uh, term as well to better encompass a larger group, um, we're referring to outliers with above average or uh, normal abilities. and, And they're really individuals who process and think about the world differently. Um, their gifts, you can find them um, to have gifts of being intellectual, being creative, artistic, athletic, even leadership capacity. Um, they're individuals that are really requiring specialized education. and by specialized education, that's um, you know instruction and programming that's going to meet their unique needs, develop their talents, and help them reach their full potential.
0: Gotcha. So that's kind of a wide, it's a wide net, if you will, um, where, you know, I'll be honest again, I, I come from the background of, I I would have assumed that we're just talking about academic achievement. Um, mm-hmm. And you listed, I mean, you listed leadership, athletics, arts, um, to me it was, you know, yeah, you scored a certain score on some aptitude test and you're labeled gifted and talented but i'm hearing from you that it is a little different uh which is helpful for me to understand how 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 do we go about identifying students uh to be gifted
1: well i think as an educational leader personally for me i'm focused on equity and holistic success so when i'm thinking about the gifted it's important to note what I call the over and underpopulation in our schools. The gifted and talented are really often overlooked and they're underserved. And then, of course, the question is why? And it comes down to um, there being a lack of knowledge and understanding of their nature and needs. And there's stereotyping and bias that, oh, those are your, your smart learners. They're, they're doing fine. Like you said, their, their academics are, are good. Um, they don't need anything specific and they're performing okay academically. But when you start peeling back the onion layers, the truth is that those students are really hiding in plain sight they're saying, us saying they're fine really isn't good enough. Um, Because if you and I met up and I asked you, oh, how are you doing Dr. Franklin? And you responded with, I'm okay, I'm fine. Uh, I would know there's more going on. (laughs) And the same goes for gifted and talented. They tend to really hide who they are and who they want to be or or even what they can do because they're just not recognized or appreciated as much as they should be in our schools. Again, often overlooked and um, underserved. And what happens is this leads to around 50% of this population underachieving. And that uh, underachieving can consist of behavioral problems, um, hating school, and even a dislike of oneself. So when you have about 50% of them underachieving, you know, that's an at-risk population and it requires timely interventions to get them back on track.
0: I like what you're saying about like the underachievement and like the hiding in plain sight because I... And remember back to my days being a principal and going through different programs and learning different theories and and this and that. And I remember being, you know, kind of told to we really got to focus in on a certain band of students, and that band of students was always the students who were right below grade level because you could push them up. And so I did spend years working with probably 25% of my school really, really, you know, in-depthly moving them up to grade level. Um, mm-hmm. And then also I also have spent a lot of time with our students that were, you know, more below grade level. Rarely did I spend time with our students that were at or above grade level, because like you said, they're doing fine. I don't need mm-hmm. to worry about them. Well, yeah, I'm hearing from you that maybe I should have, um, you know, and that notion of, of underachievement is super interesting because um, even though, again, I was never labeled gifted, um, my, my dad used to say like that I was, I was underachieving in school, even though I, I did really well, but um, I didn't, I didn't like school. I, you know, it's funny that I, I do this for a living. I was a principal and I, I you know, do all these other things in education, but I wasn't that kid who was like, I'm excited to go to school today. I was bored. I was uh, disinterested in a lot of what was going on. And could I, you know, I'm doing air quotes, no one can see that I'm doing air quotes right now, but uh, listeners please, you know, picture me doing air quotes. Uh, You know, I could have achieved more in my life if I had, you know, been given more attention in school. even though I'm quite happy with what I've achieved, but still, like who knows, you know, could have been an astronaut. Who knows? But um, mm-hmm. how do we? So I think part of part of this journey in understanding our gifted and students is first, you know, knowing who they are. Um, then, once we know who they are, we want to combat this underachievement. How do we do that? How do we inspire these students who are often forgotten? they hide in plain sight because we're focused on another group of students. How do we inspire them to be at their best?
1: And uh, to piggyback off of what you were saying too about how do you support those kids that are above grade level and you wanna keep moving forward. When I had data meetings, I would call those the bubble kids. And the bubble kids were the ones that were right on the cusp and they could pop and they could fall back down or they could move forward, float ahead. So yeah, when you're when you're referring to this population, I always refer to it as the bubble kids. You
0: know what? Um, now that now that you you mentioned it, I did too. <laughs> I yes. forgot that term. <laughs> they were our bubble kids. Yes.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, they are. They're uh, they're hiding in plain sight. They're in their own little bubble. They're on their own island. However you want to refer to them, but the point is to to be equitable and make sure that we're doing everything we can for all our groups and populations of students. We do, we have to take that deep dive into gifted education and gifted learners. So going along um, with what you're saying, when we're talking about, you know, what is giftedness? How do we identify that? What are we looking for? The National Association of Gifted Children or the NAGC, they define giftedness as as, um, students with gifts and talents that perform or have the ability or potential to perform at higher levels compared to others of the same age or with the same experience or in the same environment in one or more domains. So when you're identifying those learners in your school, what you're looking for, again, are your outliers. You're looking for those with extreme abilities, advanced abilities, advanced understanding, and just a different perspective of the world and how it works and how they think. So when I'm, um, thinking about identifying um, students that are gifted, you wanna first look for students that are developing asynchronously. So for example, you might have a high academic ability student, but they're really struggling with their social situations or their relationships. So they're just, the development is asynchronous. It's just, it's not balanced. Um, Another thing you're looking for is just that insatiable appetite for learning and understanding. These are the students that always want to know the hows, the whys, the whats. They they are questioning and are very curious and they can become consumed with their beloved topics. And you hear about it and they want to talk about it for long periods of time. Um, these tend to be students too that are precocious. So they develop abilities or talents earlier than their peers. So they might have been reading, you know, it really early on or doing math or, you know, creating art, whatever it is, but they were precocious or are precocious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have, oh, they have a lack of organizational and social skills. A lot of um, these uh, students just again it's hard for them to identify with average or you know what they consider in their world normal people because they are so unique because they do think differently because their minds do operate differently and the organizational skills or the lack of come from their brains tend to think of things from a to b point a to b they got to move to a to b and If something requires extra steps or something extra involved that just doesn't always resonate well with them. So it leads to, you know, not being very organized or not being able to, you know, maybe sit for a long period of time, things like that. Um, And then I think you're looking too for really verbal students, um, students that can talk Mm -hmm. at higher levels about topics or interests or ideas or situations. That again, are extreme or advanced, way beyond their um, their peers. Uh, it, so again, you're just looking for those outliers with advanced abilities and performance levels. So that's just kind of like an overview of um, a gifted student. But then when schools want to break that down and get you know really specific or truly start moving a program forward, Assessments come into place and schools use formal assessments to identify intelligence and ability, but I would say. To cover the larger scale school leaders should consider assessments that include subsets so it's not like you said in the beginning just academics it's critical and creative thinking skills it's assessing their problem solving skills their spatial reasoning so things like that and lastly when you're identifying these students i think it's important it's so important not to overlook discrepancies and gaps so these students might perform really really well on those standardized tests but oh their classroom grades are mediocre mm-hmm. or you know the feedback from the family may be that they excel in reading at home they you know just you know, devour a book in a few hours but when the classroom teacher talks about reading they may say, I can't get the student to read any of the classroom materials or books that we have here. So yeah, it's those specific Mm. characteristics, it's assessments, and it's um, not overlooking those discrepancies and gaps and taking into consideration how to combine all of those things together and identify properly a a gifted individual.
0: Yeah, you know, and and I guess what I'm thinking of is too it's it's this notion of hiding in plain sight um the super quiet ones too Mm -hmm. um the ones that are sitting there and they're just kind of taking it all in and like you said maybe their social skills are not at the same level as everyone else so they don't like to talk in class um they're they're the ones that are going to be hesitant to raise their hands to answer questions but when they submit their work or a project or a paper or whatever it is it is like three grade levels above what you know what everyone else is doing uh, and I have experienced uh you know working with students like that where I'm thinking do you have an older brother or sister that you know wrote this for you and they're like nope mm-hmm. <laughs> I did it myself and I'm okay. like okay um, mm-hmm. so you know I think you know what I'm hearing you say is that there are certain things to look for, but at the same time, like it is such also an individual process to identify these students. Um, and it's really, it's creating those relationships. It's knowing who your kids are, um, where you can start to, you know, make those assessments of, you know, what level they are at. And so, um, you know, my thing, again, like I always taught the bubble kids, you know, and so I could speak for days and it's a different podcast on like, what types of activities are we doing with those bubble kids to raise them up, to um, uh, get them past that threshold with our gifted and talented students. So it is a little different here. So I'm imagining, you know, the traditional assignments and work that i'm, I'm generalizing here that schools do um, isn't going to serve this group of students all that well so i'm thinking more project project-based learning i'm thinking more um you know community-based learning what uh if you could give us some specifics what have you seen uh maybe at some different age levels that works if i'm a teacher listening to this podcast and I teach fourth grade, you know, what are some, what are some things that I can do to keep these kids engaged, but then at the same time, hey, maybe I teach 11th grade, uh, you know, honors English, and I, I've got students that are just brilliant off the charts. Way above like what this class, you know, the the syllabus of this class is, is going to cover, how do I keep them engaged so what what are, what are some ideas there that can help.
1: Well, and what you were just talking about, you hit the nail on the head with the identification. I loved how you said it. Um, There is no generalized, you know, roadmap to identifying a gifted student. It is about those relationships and using assessment data and, you know, formative and summative data to guide you there but the key is that relationship piece. The more you know about them and the more you've taken time to learn what makes them tick and what their interests are and what makes them so unique, the better you can do at identifying them and properly supporting them. So you, you hit it. That yeah. was just a perfect way of you know saying that. So thank you for that. Okay. And then as far as support, um, I think first and foremost, when you talk about support, the biggest support is gonna come from the school that can see and serve these students appropriately. And they have to see these students as future leaders and successful members of society that they don't wanna see slip through the cracks. So having that as uh, you know a part of your strategic planning and goals for this group is, is huge. Um, and then when you break it down creating individualized learning plans for them, ILPs. It's it's really important because you're going to be able to meet their academic and social emotional needs with those. And with creating individualized learning plans, you know, best practices, the earlier the intervention with the student, the better. So like you were saying, if you can catch them at the elementary age and you can start putting a plan together for academic and social emotional success, By the time they're in 11th grade, boy, they've got the skills, the tools, the resources hopefully in place to keep them moving forward and feeling good and confident about themselves and about school. So, yeah, the ILPs are huge. Um, Another piece, piggybacking off of what you were saying about communication, developing a support team that consists of family, uh, friends, specialists, mentors. Classroom teachers, educational leadership, and the gifted students themselves participating in it is is big because that helps them see who's going to bat for them, who's advocating for them, who's supporting them, and who is going to help them be successful. Um, as you know, they they as we talked about, they do. They feel like they're hiding in plain sight. They feel like they're they're on their own little island and that nobody can see them or recognize or understand. what what they're thinking and feeling. So to put a a support team together and and talk to them about, here's what we're thinking for you. Here's how we can help you. What questions do you have? What do you want to do? That's that's really big for them to be able to process information and apply it later on. Um, I think one of the biggest tools in the gifted learners toolbox is developing a growth mindset. And that mindset allows them to take things step by step. It's allowing them to reflect on situations and learning how to be optimistic about moving forward. So growth mindset, that's a huge one too. Um, Then you go into, like you were talking about, what does that look like in the classroom? Well, differentiated or personalized learning has to take place and that allows them to work at their own pace, work at their own levels and feel successful and confident in what they're doing. And going with that, taking it a step further, there's enrichment, there's acceleration and there's extracurricular opportunities for them too. And those really help with the peer relationships, connecting them with like-minded individuals, um, allowing them to participate in competitions And finding something that's challenging or different for them to do, because you don't want them to get bored and you want them to,
0: Mm.
1: you know, just keep moving forward again. Then you got to find time in class to work on their organizational and social skills. We talked about that's a characteristic to look for. So if you've got that in your class and you notice they're struggling with it. Then you work with them to, you know, come up with a game plan. How are you going to be more organized? How are you going to be more um, dedicated to your learning Mm -hmm. and coming to class ready to learn? And, you know, social skills, do you, do you, as a teacher, do you provide group time where they can do flex grouping and find people that they want to work with, or just kind of be put with somebody that, you know, they can help or learn how to socialize with? And then I think last, as far as just overall supports, staff and community meetings uh, at your school uh, that focus on the gifted and talented and their educational needs. You know, the more you know, the more we can grow. So yeah, I think those are those are key
0: yeah, key supports. Thank you, thank you for that. I I want to um, bring up a couple things um, that you mentioned here, extracurriculars. Um, for me, that would be so important um, because, again, I'm just thinking about the students that I've worked with in the past that have been considered gifted and talented. And uh, for me, they've been the really quiet ones who don't get involved in sports, who don't get involved in, you know, maybe music or theater or some of those more performance-based um, extracurriculars, but but helping to steer kids maybe in that direction. Um, Uh, could be very helpful for them Uh, getting them out of their comfort zone just a little bit to explore what else is out there I think is so important and and again a lot of schools focus so heavily on the academics in between the hours of eight and three really you know what keeps a lot of kids excited about coming to school is what happens between three and five uh, Mm -hmm. with those extracurricular activities and then the other thing that I wanted to bring up um And you touched on this with support teams and community meetings. Um, But I wanted to ask you about parents. And so, a lot of folks that are going to be listening to this podcast, uh, not only, you know, but I'm sure work with gifted and talented students, but they might have a gifted and talented child at home. And I've got two kids myself, and I consider both of them geniuses, whether or not they are gifted and talented in the more, you know, academic sense, I don't know. But, um, you know, what if I'm listening to this going like, you know, how do I, how do I bring in the parents of a child, you know, and, and I, you know, my background when I was a a principal in one of my schools was a title one school. Um, and so we had a lot of families where the parents did not uh, go to college, um, maybe didn't even graduate high school, a lot of immigrant families. And so, um you know but some of our students were just out of the park geniuses and the parents didn't really did not know what to do um and so what what would you say again you know thinking about on the principal or a teacher working with a family like this how do we support the parents in supporting their child
1: when you create that support team That's why that is so important to bring the family in, because when I've talked with parents of gifted and talented students in the past and and even recently, uh, you hear what you said, you hear, I don't know what to do with them. Um, I I worry, I'm not doing enough. I'm concerned that the school's not doing enough. So the big thing you hear is just concern. And, And what you want to do is just provide them as many opportunities to be involved in the process. So if you can get them on a phone call, or if you can get them on a virtual meeting, or if you can get them to come in in person and talk, about the progress the child is making or uh, the goals that you're setting for the individual. That's huge because that's helping them see specialists and educators and leaders in the field that have identified based on their expertise and wisdom, uh, their, that child as you know uh, academically gifted and talented, whatever it is, and they're working to ensure that that child reaches the full potential. So I think the first thing is when the parents see that you are doing the right thing for the child and really trying to help them and, and make a good impact, the parents are going to go right along. And then they get the information, the, the good tidbits, the resources from the specialists that are involved. Um, I think, you know, when you when I was talking about staff and community meetings, that's that's town hall meetings, that's that's opportunities for gifted parents to network, communicate, um, create, you know, their own little contacts, and collaborate in the classrooms and in the schools to better advocate for their students, for their children, and for the gifted community in general. So yeah, that the more you can bring them in, the more you can kind of de-escalate their concerns and their worries for their child, and if their child's going to be okay, and if their child's going to be successful, the better.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I would also imagine, though, that there's the flip side of that when you have a super pushy parent who, um, and maybe the child is, is I mean, truly gifted and talented, but pushing in a way that is not healthy for the child. And I've dealt with that as well, where I, I remember, I remember, I can picture their faces right now, and we're going back at least 10 years, where um, the child was already accelerated a grade, and I, I was a middle school principal at the time, so... She was in sixth grade, uh, but her age she would have been in fifth grade. Um, this was a s- smart child, but she also was ten years old, and the mom wanted her in the highest math classes and the highest this and the most accelerated that. And I did as the principal push back, and I and I kept saying, "Look, we can do that, but let's start her out. She's already a grade above." Why don't we just keep her where she is, see how she's doing, uh, because I am worried about her social emotional health. I am worried about her maturity. This is middle school, mm-hmm. so she's 10, and she's going to be at school with, and we did have some 15-year-olds at that school, and so that's a huge that's a huge difference, and um, I remember some very intense meetings with this parent, and uh, eventually, uh, she backed down. Because she saw that her child was not performing at school at the level that she thought she was going to. Um, and But I would imagine, you know, a lot of times educators, we, we, we work with the other side of the situation where the child's not doing well and the parent's upset because we're not doing enough or whatever it is. This is the opposite where it's like, I want to slow it down. And that's, I want to caution educators put that too, because we're the experts in the room. Mm -hmm. And sometimes parents will have mom and dad goggles on what they think Mm -hmm. the ability of their kids are. We all think our kids are geniuses and smart and talented. I, my kids are no exception. They're the smartest kids at their school and that have ever been at that school for years and ever and ever. Um, I know that's not true, but like, again, like that's, but that's the mentality. And so we have to level set, I believe for parents and put some perspective in things and not push too hard because I can also see that spark and that desire for kids to learn at those high levels and to go deeper and to want more, I can see that them shutting down. Cause it's like, I just, you know, that inner child is like, I just want to be 10. I don't want to be like an algebra two at 10. I want to like play with my friends and like, you know, whatever, you know? Um, So uh, I, I, I would think that's, that's gotta be out there as well.
1: Well, you have to, as a principal, you have to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk with gifted, which is why I think it's great that we're able to have this conversation and help principals get a better understanding and idea of gifted education and gifted learners. When you can walk the walk and talk the talk to the parent, then they're going to be able to tell that you're competent and confident in what you're saying and what you're sharing. And you can Mm -hmm. be able to say like you just did. if we push too hard, then we might run into, um, you know, a shutdown, a complete shutdown, or we might run into social emotional issues. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you as a principal can't walk the walk and talk the talk as well, then you've got to have that specialist, that other educational leader or educator that has the relationship or has the wisdom and expertise to be able to have that conversation with the person, because you're right in the, in the, gifted population, you are going to run into parents on the other side of the the spectrum of, uh, you know, I want my child to have the best, get the best, receive the best. What are you doing to make sure that that happens? And yeah, that's that's knowing your stuff. And if you don't know your stuff well enough, then you better have somebody right next to you that does to take the parent down the ladder a little bit and say, here's the plan that we've come up with. Here's why we're doing what we're doing. Here's the research. You know, you've got to have all of that in place to have a really good, solid conversation because those parents are expecting it mm. because they have such high expectations for their children.
0: Yes, 100% agree with you. And uh, I think the big takeaway there uh, is going to be uh, for, you know, principals as you are listening to this. Um, if you're not the expert, have find an expert. Um, you know, <laughs> I think a lot of times especially at the elementary level, we are the sole administrator on campus. I know I was when I did elementary. Um, And I have said this a thousand times, I'm not an expert in everything in education. There's nobody is. So bring someone along for that conversation who does have that background uh, working with gifted and talented students uh, and parents and, and have them be a part of that meeting Uh, But I would also say involve that person early as well. We're talking about support teams. We're talking about, you know, the individualized learning plans. Um, Bring them in. Have them be a fly on the wall or someone who's even a little bit more in-depth and, you know, can help, you know, create those for you and and the students. Um, You know, it it takes a village and you don't have to go it alone. And that's always the message that I like to uh, make sure all of us, uh, all of us follow. So, um,
1: yeah, relationships are key. Yeah. It, you can't go into that meeting either. Just being the expert, you know, putting out information, you have to be knowledgeable of your community, of your students. It's the relationships are always going to be the key and, yeah. and good, solid communication too.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, this has been, this has been great Brianne, uh, again I, I I love the you know hiding in plain sight. I feel like this conversation is always hiding in plain sight too. We rarely talk about gifted and talented students, so I'm really glad you brought this topic to us today and to our listeners um what uh what are your kind of your parting thoughts here what uh what do you want to leave our listeners with?
1: Well, I know um one uh major topic that is besides underachievement that's being discussed in gifted education is twice exceptional students. And I just did a, um, a presentation here not long ago in my area uh, for special education, exceptional education, teachers and leaders. And I was pretty blown away with how little uh, schools are talking about twice exceptional and what that means. So I I wouldn't, if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind just kind of touching on twice exceptional students.
0: Absolutely. Go ahead.
1: Okay. Yeah. So when you're talking about twice exceptional students, you're really unlocking genius there because twice exceptionality is considered by many education researchers to be the most misunderstood in my opinion, most intriguing of all the exceptionalities because twice exceptional, or they're also called 2E students. They have one or more learning or developmental disabilities. Like they might have ADD or ADHD, um, autism spectrum disorder, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, but they're gifted because they're advanced or they perform at higher levels than the average. And this group um, is coming into focus more Uh, but they require the same support that are needed for the gifted that we've talked about today, but they also have to learn how to harness their gifts and effectively utilize their strengths and their learning styles to overcome those weaknesses, those disabilities that they have. And so um, what is kind of taking place now in schools is leaders are looking at ways to modify tasks into smaller steps for them Um, provide a lot of accessibility to technology and they're working on goal setting with them so that they, again, see the big picture and know how to work forward to it. And, and using that again, promoting that positive growth mindset to get there. Hmm. So I think, you know, as we're talking about gifted, we can't forget about this other group that's coming into light more. And that is those twice exceptional students and their needs as well.
0: Thank you. Uh, That is actually a new term for me. Uh, And so I'm I'm also thinking maybe a new term uh, for a lot of our listeners. So uh, twice exceptional students. So thank you uh, Mm -hmm. for bringing that to us here. Lots, uh, we covered a lot in a very short amount of time. Uh, And I know this is just scratching the surface and working with gifted and talented students, but I do think that you gave all of us um not just a nice overview but also then some tangible next steps as we're thinking about working with these groups of students you know how do i best support them how do i best support their families and how do i best nurture that love of learning uh long term so that um to be honest i mean all of us reap the benefits uh, of their of their success later on in life because these are the people that are going to go and do truly amazing world changing things in the future. And, um, you know, but first, we, we got to get them to graduate from high school. And so that's the work that we do. So thank you, uh, Brianne, for, for being a guest here on the Principal's Desk Podcast. We're going to put uh, a lot of the links to the organizations that you mentioned um, in the notes below, as well as uh, some links to some materials I know you've created for folks as they are uh, learning more about what they need to do in working with gifted and talented students. But uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today.
1: Same. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Thank you. Have a good one.
1: You too. Take care.
0: Hey, everyone. This is David, the founder of The Principal's Desk. If you want to learn more about the professional development services that we offer, please check out www.principalsdesk.org or email us at info at